We are in the book of John. If you turn to John chapter 2, that would be terrific. And we're going to get started with, uh, with John chapter 2, beginning at verse 23, and, and go through 310 today. Uh, today we're looking at and reading about uh, the, the interaction with Nicodemus, who was a, a teacher of the law, a Pharisee, but he was also a, a part of the ruling council. He was a Sanhedrin. Um, he was a very official teacher, probably one of the greater teachers in, in Israel and in Jerusalem, uh, maybe one of the main ones, if not the main one. And he comes and has this interaction with Jesus uh, about what he's seen, and he wants to start talking to Jesus and having a conversation about uh, what he's seen and the signs that Christ has said and what he said, and, and we're going to see how Jesus responds to that today. We are in the series, Written So That You Might Believe, and it's really important for us to understand that that's, that's the ongoing message, right? And I say it every week, I re- re- recite the verse, but when we look at the scriptures, we see that they were written so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and that we'd have life in his name. So there's something to be said for all these accounts, all these stories, all these conversations are always going to always be about Jesus and always be about always pointing to Jesus so that you and I can find Christ in, in, in faith, have, uh, have life in his name. So this is what it's always about. That's what, that's what the, the scriptures are about. That's what these stories are about. Uh, that's what these, these accounts are all about. So as we look at this, we looked, uh, we've gone through a few things uh, recently, and I, I want to kind of put them together and lump them together because it was Jesus starting his earthly ministry. And we, we paused right after the wedding at Cana for our Christmas series. So kind of putting that together. We had the wedding at Cana where Jesus comes and turns the water into wine, reminding us that there, there, when the joys of life run out, there is new joy to be had and new joy to be found in Jesus Christ. And he did that to show that there's new joy and to reveal his glory. And then his disciples believed and understood that he was who he said he was. So there's this new joy he wants to pr- produce and show and that, that's in him. And then we, we transition into a, a place where he comes into Jerusalem for the Passover. And we saw this last week where he came in and he cleansed the temple. He was there to cleanse the temple. And he comes in with authority and power, not just meek behind the scenes, but he comes with force and authority and he cleanses the temple and says, this is totally wrong what you're doing here. Uh, you have made my, my father's house uh, into a den of robbers, right? This is not how this should be. And, and he, he questions that, he challenges that, and it challenges us to look at our own temple. And he talks about the fact that not only are you you're destroying the temple of God, you're also going to destroy Jesus, right? That he was the temple of God. And, and they had set out in their mind that, that we need to get rid of Jesus. They were going to destroy him. But he said, destroy this temple and I'll what? I'll raise it up in three days. And they couldn't understand. How, how could you rebuild the temple? It took us 46 years to build this thing. How could you do it in three days? But we find out that he was talking about his resurrection, that he would rise from the dead, that they would destroy Jesus as the temple of God. They would destroy him and that he would raise from dead three days later. So we're moving into this time now of looking at this conversation with Nicodemus, but I want to really look at what, what this means, this progression. The progression that there's, hey, there's new joys to be had, but, but we have to analyze and check our hearts first, that, that our temple needs to be checked. And when Jesus came, he said, listen, there's something wrong on the inside. There's new joys to be had, but something is preventing you from having that and experiencing that to the fullest because you're not clean on the inside. You must be cleansed on the inside. And in fact, he then showed and said that he he would reveal his power over the complete cleansing of our temples by dying in our place and rising again, defeating anything that would get in our way of having that cleansing happen. That through faith in Christ, we could experience God's power that raised Jesus from the dead, that it would conquer and, and cover our sins and would conquer and cover the death that we would have to suffer, but it wouldn't because Jesus suffered for us. 
And then, then today what we understand, we see this little, there's a little section of scripture at the end of chapter two. It's almost like a precursor to, to what we're going to read today. So I, I lumped it in with, with the first part of chapter three because it really sets the stage and tone coming out of what Jesus said, hey, you need to cleanse your temple. I'm the greatest provision you could ever have. You need to believe in me and have faith. And then there's a spot in here in verse 23 where he's talking about uh, people believed, but they really didn't believe and he knows and understands the heart. What we understand here is that he is providing the provision. He is the provision. And it comes through a genuine saving faith in him. That There needs to be a genuine saving faith. It's not enough that Jesus came to say, hey, I'm going to bring you hope and joy, but you're unclean. Uh, I'm going to be the provision and conquer death. We have to have faith in that provision for us to be clean and experience that joy. So there's, there's, there's an act of faith on our part. There's a call to repentance and belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today we're going to see that in more depth. We're going to look at John 2. 23 through chapter 3, verse 10. I'll go ahead and pray for us, and we'll begin our, our breakdown. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your, your great love for us. God, as we come here today to open your scriptures, God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to what you say to us. That, God, we would see firsthand Jesus. We'd see how all of these accounts and all of these records point to Jesus and point us to him. God, that we would, we would be found faithful, and God, we would be found full of faith in Jesus Christ as our greatest provision, as our greatest treasure. We ask you to convict us of any sin. God, examine our hearts. Show us where we're not clean or not right with you. Show us where we're trusting in our own, own flesh or our own self. God, move us to a place where we, we obey you. Move us to a place where we humble ourselves before you and that we, we express deep faith in you to forgive us, to cleanse us, to make us righteous before God. And then, God, that you would conform us every day into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ, that we look more and more like Jesus to the world around us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to read John 2, 23 through 3, 10 together. While he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all and because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs uh, you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter uh, his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. So do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus said. We'll stop there and we'll carry that on uh, next week. Next week's going to be fun. It's uh, verses 11, uh, and I think, through 21, and it's the uh, it's John 3.16 is in the middle of that, so it's going to be a great week. But this week we're looking at Nicodemus and this, this interaction, this conversation. So the, the sermon title today is, uh, You Must Be Born Again. You Must Be Born 
again. And, and we're going to look at what that means and, and how Jesus unpacks that and what the scriptures say about that. And number one is this. We see that uh, you must be born again, but we know that Jesus knows the heart. When we talk about being born again, you must know and I must know and realize that Jesus knows our heart. He knows exactly what we're thinking, exactly if we really believe or if we don't believe, if it's lip service or not. Jesus knows the heart. Look at verses 23 and 25, or through 25 of, of John 2 with me. He says, while he was in Jerusalem during the Passover, he just cleansed the temple, right? Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Let's talk about what this is saying. There's, there's a word here, two words being, being used. He says, uh, many believed, and then he said, Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them. Those two words, believed and entrust, are actually the same word, the same Greek word. And what it's saying is this, although many believed in him, they believed in Jesus, he didn't believe in them. And he didn't need man to tell him whether or not they were true believers or not. He says in that last verse, he could see the heart. He knew what was inside of a person. So although they believed in Jesus, he didn't believe in them. He had no faith in their faith. What a statement, isn't it? What a statement. I mean, how many times would I myself think, oh, I believe, I, I believe, I really believe, I trust in Jesus. He's my Savior. And I say that, and, and God knows my heart. But the question is, man, if, if I say I believe and Jesus says, no, you don't, maybe I should check myself. I should check my belief. Where does my belief come from? Is it real belief? Is it just, just like, oh, this looks good. You look great. I, I believe. It's like what we see in the news or a headline in the newspaper, and it's, oh, I, I believe that. But to really believe is to really research, really get involved, really figure it out and dissect what's going on, really embrace truth with your heart, not just something you saw. Jesus understands there's a difference between belief and belief. There's a belief that's a head knowledge, which people can have, and even Satan and the demons have. But there's a belief that comes from the core of the human heart that is is so much bigger. You see, there's a difference between a superficial faith and a saving faith. A superficial faith and a saving faith. He, He says this, Jesus, in Matthew 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. You see, saving faith has to do with a deep treasuring of a new relationship, a real relationship, a providing relationship with Jesus Christ. In Luke, he he talks about this too, and and there's a story in Luke 9. It says, as they were traveling along the road, someone said to him, to Jesus, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Saying, count the cost. This is tough. So then he said to another, follow me. Lord, Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead. But, But you go out and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go say goodbye to the ones uh, uh, in my house. And Jesus said to him, no one, puts, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's so important for us to understand that a superficial faith is not a saving faith. And Jesus knows the heart. And you might say, I believe, I believe. But all day long you're looking back. 
All day long, you're looking back. You're not looking at Jesus. You're not focused on him. You're not embracing that relationship with him. Um, Jesus says, uh, you can say, Lord, Lord, but if, if you don't know me and I don't know you, there is no real faith. And the priority is that I would abandon everything, that I would, in repentance, abandon everything and turn to him and trust him as Savior and trust in him as my provision, and I would follow him wherever he tells me to go. Nothing I had or claimed to have or claimed to be would count for anything it's all about Jesus and faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus knows the heart. Number two, Jesus cuts to the chase. Jesus cuts to the chase. Look at this interaction going on here in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. So we pick up our story. We see that some people believe, but they really didn't believe. And then it goes on. There's a man from, from the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He's a religious leader, a religious teacher. He said, a ruler of the Jews. This is a part of a member of the Sanhedrin. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs uh, you do unless God were with him. Now, let's stop there for a minute and let's look at this a little bit more in detail. Uh, this man came to him at night. So Nicodemus came to him at night. There were a couple reasons probably why he came at night. One, the crowds were less and he could get straight face to face with Jesus and have a conversation. Number two is he probably didn't want to be seen talking to Jesus in this manner. Where a lot of, a lot of his, his other compa- compatriots, right, his compadres, they were all a little bit more skeptical than him. But, but as a Sanhedrin, as, as a Pharisee, they had an obligation to search and to, and to discuss and to, and to talk about these things. And they had been talking about them. In fact, what, what does he say? He says, there's a, a man comes to him at night, and he says this. He says uh, there in verse 29, no, tw- uh, sorry, verse 3. This man came uh, to him. In verse 2 he says, Rabbi, we know. So he calls him Rabbi, which was a distinction. He went to him and he didn't say, hey, listen, punk, we know what you're doing. He went to him with respect and said, Rabbi. Which was, which was placing him, other people called Nicodemus rabbi, right? But he's, he's placing Jesus at the top saying, okay, you're, I, I want to learn more from you. I want to submit here to some authority and, and give you some reverence and, and try to understand from you. So rabbi, and he says, we know, not just like I know, but we know. We've been discussing you. We've seen what you've been up to and we've been talking about you. And I have a duty here to come in and figure out what, what you're saying and who you are. So we know that you're a teacher who's come from God because no one could do these things unless they were from God. Verse, uh, verse 3, Jesus replied, I tell you, unless someone's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he comes and says, I, we, we know, Rabbi, we're, we need to talk. I want to learn more from you. No one could do this unless they were from God. But there were some questions, I'm sure, nagging in Nicodemus' mind because for Nicodemus and for the other Pharisees who, who accosted Jesus at the end of the temple cleansing, he basically said, you're all messed up. And for Nicodemus, he took that personally because he thought, I, I thought I was doing good. I thought I was righteous. I thought I had my act together. I thought I was following everything I needed to do. I thought I was ritually completing every task that you assigned me. So Nicodemus and other Pharisees probably thought, I, I thought I was okay. How am I messed up? So the nagging questions he may have come with or question he may have come with was, was how righteous does a man have to be? Like, like how far does this have to go? I, I thought I was at the pinnacle. And instead of having the conversation about that, Jesus just cuts right to the chase. He says, truly I tell you, unless someone's born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. 
you're, you're waiting for a kingdom maybe even now on earth of God. You're, you're, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Everything has got to change for you, Nicodemus. Everything. He was prepared there to investigate Christ's claims. He was receptive to Christ's conversation and explanations. And, and he understood the, the notion of, of new birth. So it wasn't like something like, how does this work? What, what he understood, though, was that new birth was when a proselyte came to faith in Judaism, right, in, in, in God, and that he, he converted. And when you converted, you were, you were new like a child. You were born new like a child is how they considered that. So he understood this concept of new birth or being born again or starting fresh. But what he couldn't understand is how in the world can I start fresh? I've been there, done that, man. You're, I don't get it. I, I have, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. There are still people coming to faith and converting to Judaism, and they're, they're all new and fresh. They're being born new, right? They're considered uh, like a newborn child is how they considered them. They have a fresh start, but, but not Nicodemus. He's wondering now, how, how can I start again? Because he had placed all his confidence in his flesh. It had been an outward sign. If I accomplish the goals and tasks, I will fulfill what Jesus wants me to fulfill. A couple passages that support this. Paul says in Romans, a person is not a Jew who is one, uh, or sorry, a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly. And true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Talking about the idea that, yeah, we can fill out the checkbox, check the boxes off all day long, but if there's not really a, a deep faith, an inward new birth, it means nothing. Philippians, Paul says, says it there too. He says, watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evil workers, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, the ones that would live by the word, by, the, by checking off the boxes, by the law. We, he says, we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. We do not put confidence in the flesh of what I can accomplish. And Paul says, although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, he says, if anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more, Paul says. So he's going to say, you think you, you're good, let me tell you where I'm at. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, I persecuted the church. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, I'm blameless. Like Paul checked off every box. He says, but everything that was to gain for me, everything that was gained to me, like so he understands all of those things, all that confidence in the flesh, everything that Nicodemus had as well, everything that was gained to me, I've considered to be a loss. No confidence because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He said, there's, there's more value in knowing Christ Jesus as Lord and knowing him relationally than putting a confidence in the flesh. He says, uh, because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things and I consider them as dung so that I might gain Christ. He says, I want to throw all that stuff away so I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, not working it out, but, but having a righteousness that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God is based on faith. Paul understood this, and Jesus knows this. He cuts to the chase saying, Nicodemus, this is about a righteousness that you need, not based on your physical outward appearance or your actions. 
It's about a righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ that comes from the heart. There is no merit or confidence to be placed in the flesh, only faith in Christ. So what happens next? What leads us to number three? Jesus explains being born again. If you must be born again, Jesus explains what that means. Look at verses four through eight together here in John chapter three. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Again, going back to what he said, he's like, I, I, I understand people are, are born like a child when they, when they convert, but I, I've been doing this for a long time. I, I don't need a fresh start. I had that. I'm, I've moved on. Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. And let's stop there and, and see what this means. Let's talk about this. Uh, some people say, well, see, you, you, know, you have to be born of the water and spirit. You have, you have to get baptized and have faith in Christ to be saved. And that's not what Scripture says at all. Because baptism would be a work of righteousness, something I achieve on my own, an outward, an outward symbol, an outward sign. But it is a symbol and sign, but it's not a requirement for, for salvation. And what, what are they talking about here? Uh, they're talking, and, and it could mention some of baptism because they're talking about water. And so I'll give some credit there. But when we talk about baptism, what Nicodemus would have understood, what Jesus would have understood, is what John the baptizer had been doing, a baptism of repentance. So if you want to link water and, and spirit together, it would be this. Unless you are born from a spirit of repentance and of God's Holy Spirit changing your heart, you're not going to last here. But they're talking about something else here, a little, I think, a little more deeply. He says, can he, he asks the question, can one enter his mother's womb a second time. Right? There's flesh there, water there, there's amniotic fluid there. Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And look what he does in the next verse. Whatever is born of the flesh, so he's, he's, he's clearing this up. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, right? Water, flesh is flesh. And whatever is born of the spirit is spirit, spirit and spirit. So there's, there is a birth, there's, we have flesh, we were born, but we need to have new birth inside the heart from the spirit of god so don't be amazed that i told you you must be born again the wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going so it is with everyone born of the spirit so don't be amazed i told you you must be born again you have to stop putting confidence in the flesh you have to start new you have to come to to, to faith in christ like that of a child and embrace christ in faith you must be born again. It says the wind goes where it pleases. It's talking about the work of the Spirit. When we, when we are changed by Jesus and transformed through faith in Christ, the Spirit of God does this work and produces this fruit in us. And you can see the evidence of it. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind, is what he's saying. And you may, you may not be able to see the Spirit, but you can feel the effects of the Spirit. You can feel the Spirit uh, convicting you of sin and moving you to a place, calling you to repentance. And then once we repent and trust, trust Christ as Savior, there's this fruit that it produces in our life too. And you're like, wow, I can't even explain why I'm new. It's because of God's Spirit. That's what it is to be born again. It's like, I can't explain how this happened except for faith in Christ. That's all it is. I want to work through a progression here because this is a spiritual matter, not a physical one. Right? There's nothing you can do to accomplish salvation through your own works. It's all based on the power of God's Holy Spirit. So, so yes, Nicodemus, you must start over. We see this progression in, in, in talking about the Holy Spirit. I'll take you to John 16, 7 through 11. It says this, 
Nevertheless, Jesus is saying, I'm telling you the truth. It's for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin. Here's the Holy Spirit, the counselor's job, to convict the world about sin, about righteousness, about judgment, about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you'll no longer see me, and about judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. So the, the purpose here, the Holy Spirit's purpose in the world, in the world, not just in a believer, but in the world, is to convict the world of sin. John, and also in John 15, it says this, Then the Counselor comes, the one I send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, what will he do? He will testify about me. So the Spirit is convicting the world of sin and testifying that we all need Jesus. That's important for us to understand, that the Spirit is doing that work in unbelievers' hearts. You see, the Holy Spirit has this ministry of convicting the world of sin. And the goal is to bring sinners to a saving knowledge in Jesus Christ. That's the goal. The Spirit's like, you need to know you're a sinner. See, Nicodemus came, he's like, oh, I want to understand more. But he didn't want to acknowledge this fact. He, he thought, I, I'm good enough. How, man, how righteous does a man have to be outwardly? Jesus is saying it's all about the heart. No one can be saved apart from the Spirit's convicting, convincing, and regenerating work. The Bible teaches that all people, all people are sinners and have fallen from grace because of their sin. And it's this ministry and this work of God's Holy Spirit to penetrate hearts and overcome a sinner's resistance to the gospel and bring them to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. This is what the Holy Spirit's job is to do. This conviction or, or convincing is what must be done in order for the reality of our sin and our need for a Savior to be understood. You see, he says he's going to convict, convict the world of sin and, and of judgment and of, of righteousness and judgment. So there's, there's sin and saying, hey, listen, you're not only convinc- convinced and convicted that you're sinful, but you also have to see the necessity of being righteous. So not only are you sinful like everybody is, I've met people who said, I'm, I'm just a perfect example of a human being. I'm a sinner. That's right, you are. And they think they're perfect. But that's not the standard. So, so the Holy Spirit doesn't just come in and say, hey, you're all sinners. He says, you need to be righteous as well. And you're not because you're sinful and you can't do it on your own. You need to be righteous. So not only are we sinful, but there's a necessity of being righteous and standing righteous before God and understanding that, that there will be judgment. There will be judgment. He convinces the world, convicts the world of judgment, saying, listen, the way you judge is, is way off base. I'm the one that really judges. And what you really need to do is place your faith and trust in Jesus and abandon your own self and your own priorities. The Spirit is moving. And He is a means of grace to us. Uh, you need to understand that. The Spirit's not just the one that reigns on our parade and says, man, I'm having a bad day today because of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, wake up! You have such a deep need. Acknowledge that need for Jesus Christ. And trust Him in faith. He's a means of grace. We see this in Titus chapter 3, verses 4-7. through seven. When the kindness or grace of, our, of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. That grace and mercy is what saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to His mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. There it is, this rebirth, this washing from the power of the Holy Spirit 
So he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. We may become, there's a promise here, we may become. It's not just the Holy Spirit came, he washed us, it's great, now all of us are going to heaven and God's love wins. The Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin, to remind us that we are not righteous and we must embrace Christ's righteousness through faith in Christ alone or we will be judged. So we, we can become heirs. Well, what does that mean? How do we do that? First Peter says, though you have not seen him, we're talking about the Holy Spirit now, uh, you love him through not seeing him, you believe in him, so there's belief, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because, why are we rejoicing? Because we are receiving the goal of your faith. Goal of your faith. So we can become heirs, eternal heirs with Christ through faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because the goal of our faith is the salvation of our souls. That's what God's saying. He's saying your soul needs to be saved. The outward doesn't need to be saved. The inward is what needs to be saved. Paul tells us in Ephesians that you and I were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God is rich in mercy, and because of his great love for us, he made us alive in Christ even though we were dead in our sins. So there's a, there's a way to be alive. And it says you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. So the Spirit comes and says, you're sinful, and you need to be righteous. But you can't do it on your own. But you are going to be judged, so put your faith in Jesus Christ. So express faith in the life-saving power of Jesus Christ. I've read this quite a bit in John chapter 1. It's where we started this, this season. Jesus was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. They just talked about him. They wanted to have more conversations, maybe, with each other, like Nicodemus. But to all who did receive. So here's the invitation. To those who did receive, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who would believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent. Your heritage doesn't matter. Your outward appearance doesn't matter. Or your, your righteousness doesn't matter. Your own. So not born of natural descent or the will of the flesh or will of man, but those who were born of God. We must be born again. The sole issue that determines people's eternal destiny is how they react to the Holy Spirit's convincing and convicting ministry concerning their own sin and the provision of forgiveness by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We have to express faith in Christ. The, the Spirit's convincing us. The Spirit tells us, listen, we, we constantly go through life knowing that we're not good enough. And if, if you are not a believer in Christ, if you've not expressed faith in Christ, you are constantly trying to attain and earn and be the right person, all the while knowing you will never measure up. That's not just because you're, you're thinking poorly of yourself. That's because the Holy Spirit is saying, hey, you can't do it on your own. You'll never measure up. You need Jesus. He measured up. So will you set aside any confidence that you have in the flesh? Will you turn to him in faith and put your hope in Jesus Christ? I hope you will. Number four, talking about being born again. You must be born again in this last part of this section. Jesus rebukes unbelief. Now that we know what we must do, he says I, I, he's going to rebuke unbelief. 
He's just explained this to Nicodemus. He's just said, here's what you must do. It's through faith in Christ. It's through faith. It's through being born again, not of natural descent, but of, of the Spirit of God. Letting the Spirit of God convict your heart. And then Nicodemus responds in verse 9. How can these things be? He didn't say, oh man, I'm going to do that right now. I, I totally get you. He's like, how can this be? Sometimes we set ourselves up for failure by, by surrounding ourselves, our mind, or embracing all kinds of different truth. That's really not truth at all. But we build it up to be, that's the, the way I'm going to look at the world, that's the way I'm going to embrace the world, and, and, and that's not true at all. And Nicodemus has this whole structure that's going to fall down. It's like a house of glass or a house of cards, right? It's just going to fall apart. With this one statement, Jesus says, you, you can't, you don't understand. He says, how can these things be? Jesus responds, he says, are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Nicodemus is saying, I, I've done so much. I, what more can I do? And Jesus says, nothing. You must be born again. Nicodemus doesn't, under, doesn't understand that. And then the rebuke is this. Basically, how can you be a teacher of Israel and not get this? How can you not get this? What a rebuke it is. They say they're a teacher of Israel. They examine the scriptures. It should point all to Jesus, but he doesn't get it. Jesus is saying, these things talk about me, and you should know. A great passage in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. This is a passage that Nicodemus would have read. He would have understood. He would have, he would have he should have embraced. Nicodemus had this. The Lord says, these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me. And human rules direct their worship of me. I, I mean, if I was Nicodemus, before I even saw Jesus and I read that, I'd be like, this is a matter of the heart, not a matter of the flesh. I better figure this out. But his whole life was spent accumulating and doing better and looking better and didn't pay attention to the fact that God says your heart is far from me. Nicodemus, you should know. You're, how can you be a great teacher of Israel and not know that this is about the heart? Jesus says in John chapter 5 to, to Pharisees, to teachers of the law, he says, you pour over the scriptures. You are in these and reading and reading and studying and reading and studying and reading and studying. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. If I do it, and, and that's what they're doing. They're searching. What, what should I do? How should we do this? Let's make a policy. Let's make a procedure. Let's make, put a burden on someone's life. Let's try to keep it ourselves. They pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. And yet, Jesus says, they testify about me. They testify about me, but you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. It all points to Jesus. And Jesus is all that we need. If we cut to the chase, it's simple. We must be born again. We, we turn over what we thought was of requirement and, and turn to faith in Christ and let Him transform our lives. It all points to Jesus. And there's no excuse for not having faith. There's tons of excuses for not having faith. We make all kinds of excuses and say, I'm not quite ready, I'm not all cleaned up yet. Nicodemus, that's what he came with. I, how can someone be made righteous or more righteous than I? I thought I had it all together saying that you could have it all together. You can't. 
You might have excuses, but there really is no excuse to not have faith and to not have life and find life in Jesus Christ. We must be born again. I want to end with our, our theme verse, just reminding us about these accounts of Christ, what he's teaching, what he's saying, and why he's saying it. John 20, 31 says this, But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. I hope you choose life. I hope you choose to respond to Christ in faith and let the power of the Holy Spirit change everything because that's what it means to be born again. Amen? Let's go ahead and stand and have prayer together. Father, we thank you so much for our time here today, our time here, uh, our ability to worship you together as a body of believers. God, to come together in unity to, to, to give you the praise that you deserve, but also, God, to sing songs of praise to one another, not praising one another, but reminding one another of the deep truths of your word and your grace that we would embrace you. Father, we pray that you would change our hearts every day, that you would continue to mold us and to make us into the image of Christ, conform us into the image of Christ. God, help us. Help us in our unbelief. Help us when we think we're strong believers to to understand that we may not be. And that, God, you, you want us to be born again, to be made new, to be fresh because of faith in Christ. And then, God, when we express faith in Christ, we know that your Spirit will change everything and we'll see the effects and the fruit of that. So may we test our lives now. If we think we're in Christ, may we test our lives to see, is there a fruit? Is there a freedom? Is there a hope that we have found in Christ that overflows with inexpressible joy because of our salvation in Christ? God, fill us with your spirit. Let us go forward with with love and joy and hope to a world who desperately needs you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.